All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over a science fiction passion. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Today, as our special guest, we have another veteran, author Craig Martell. Woo-hoo, yay! yay. <laughs> that was the peanut gallery. Um, Craig is a retired Marine Corps officer who went to law school after he hung up his uniform. He took that law degree into business consulting and became a business diagnostic specialist and leadership coach. And don't worry, I don't know what that means either, but we'll just keep going. That wasn't exciting enough, so he retired from that and started writing full-time, and he's not looked back since, and neither have his readers. He's a number, um, he has a number of best-selling novels and categories that matter to him, space opera, military, sci-fi, space marines, colonization, and genetic engineering. Uh, as a serial daydreamer, he loves the chance to finally get the stories on paper, vir- uh, virtual and digital paper. He had to specify that because he's smart like that. Uh, Craig is also a veteran. Um, you served in Iraq too, right? I, I went to Iraq in in ninety three. I went there after the war, uh, in as part of the stabilization force. Hey, well, then I'll cut that out of the uh, introduction. I thought you were uh, you served in the second Gulf War too. I, I uh, in uh, war in Afghanistan. Yes, I didn't go to Afghanistan, but I, I deployed to CENTCOM five days after the after nine eleven. Oh, okay, okay. Oh. I misunderstand what you've said in other interviews, but but all right. Other than getting that wrong, <laughs> did we get anything <laughs> else wrong? No, no, no. That's okay. That's uh, yeah. The uh, there were too much war. I guess we should say that uh, going Absolutely. around the world. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I kept it simple. I just went to Iraq twice. I didn't want to confuse people with geography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the life of the infantry. We like to keep it simple. But uh, the second part of the interview, dear listener, is we like to tell how we first found the uh, the guest. So when I first started writing, I made a point of uh, trying to connect with all the other combat veterans who had switched their rifles for pens, metaphorical pens anyway. Some of us do still enjoy shooting. Um, that was how I first found Craig. Uh, then um, I saw that he helped run the 20 books, the 50K group where indie authors help each other. Uh, with the business side of stuff, and we've just sort of stayed in touch since then. He does a lot to give back to the author community. So that is how I found him. What about you, Chris? Oh, Craig and I met at his friend's house for a birthday party. Uh, <laughs> I'd never met the party, the, the the birthday person before, but the name on the mailbox was Schrodinger. Um, when he knocked on the door, nobody answered. He knocked again, asked if anybody was inside. 
someone was, I think, because they said, I don't know, am I? <laughs> and we were pretty sure they were, but it went back and forth so long, we finally gave up, left, and had tacos. And while we were eating tacos and talking about his weird friend, um, we actually had an argument of whether or not a parsec is a unit of measurement or you know, you know, of distance or time. I said it was time, and I'm pretty sure I won that argument. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure how, but uh, anyway. <laughs> well, it, it's all quantum. Quantum hand wavium. It's good. <laughs> all right. Silly Marines. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, JR, you were in my uh, The Expanding Universe uh, Science Fiction Anthology. That is correct. I was going to mention that when we got to the list. He is the first author, by the way, dear listener, when we list out the series and it goes with the uh, the drop organization. And he's the first one whose letters on the drop thing went from A through Z and then A, A, B, B. Like, it's crazy how many series this man has written. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, better take a deep breath before you read that list. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So the first question, and I have my mouse over the kick button, is a religion question. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Now, this is kind of a setup question because (laughs) uh, we did write a series uh, called Dark Landing, which was uh, to fill that void for distressed Firefly fans. Uh, We call it a space Western. Yes. uh, It it, it has that kind of uh, feel. It also has the eight main characters, which is a significant element of the Star Trek Firefly consortium of writing a space opera, uh, a character-driven science fiction story. So, uh, yes, Star Trek and Firefly. Okay, so eight's the magic number, huh? Yes. Look at the, look at the characters. Look at the main characters and the stories. And then, uh, as we did, and as Firefly did, some of the stories you'll focus on one character with a couple supporting characters, and other ones it'll be one character with a couple supporting characters, and not always the same main character. And we did this mainly with a Dark Landing because we wrote it as a TV serial, even though yes, it's books and we sell it as books. But uh, Star Trek, those are all. You see how uh, you can. Uh, separate out your filming so you're not burning out your main three characters all the time. You have the some, you have uh, like the one, one or two main, but then the supporting characters fill in a lot of the extra dialogue and and screen time. So, uh, space opera, there it is, man. Very scientific. So, what what do you love about science fiction as a genre? You can address almost any issue you want and paint it onto a futuristic backdrop and. It's a safe place to talk about, which uh, I actually I was I'm a child of the 60s. Uh, so I watched Star Trek, the new the the original series when they were new each week. My brother, he's eight years older than me, would uh, get the TV. And yes, the big TV with the 13 channels that you had to physically change. <laughs> and uh, uh, we would watch those new episodes. And I was in awe of the science fiction, the sciencey stuff, laser beams and stuff like that. And uh, later like watching it right now, you can go back and, and if you look back what was going on in the 60s and how Gene Roddenberry was able to address those issues, that's what I love about sci- science fiction. I uh, I read uh, my brother being eight years older and a huge science fiction geek. Uh, 
he had a huge library. So I started reading young because I didn't have any friends who lived close by. So I read a lot and I read books that were probably well, well above what I was, uh, what I should have at the time, but still it was there growing up with Andre Norton and Heinlein and Asimov and, uh, and uh, Jules Verne and those guys in the, in the written word. So science fiction was what I grew up with. And it just, it just seems so natural to me. Wow. Nice. So what's your earliest memory of watching, reading, or playing games in the genre? That That is the 60s, watching uh, the original series, Star Trek. Okay. What's your What's your favorite Star Trek? Is it the original? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> because, because it's at the standard. The other ones later may have had more better CGI, better special effects, uh, different themes that they talked about. But still, the original set that standard for uh, everyone to deviate from and and maybe the acting wasn't as great as it could could have been but it wasn't bad and i i consider the acting in the original star trek still uh, uh phenomenally superior to the acting in star wars uh, uh from the 70s nice do you remember the episode of star trek where they address racism and this isn't something where that i uh I was even aware of until maybe 10 years ago and, and it suddenly hit me, but these two factions were fighting and all they did was paint the, their makeup black on one side, white on the other. And then on the yep. other actor, it was switched. Do you remember that episode? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Once that it was, hit me, just blew my mind. Yeah. Forget the title, but that that's exactly it. And it, and it was uh, once again, painted on the backdrop of the sixties. You look at that and say, but that's ridiculous. They're both black and white. Yes, they are. But that, they, hey, that guy, he's black on the left side as opposed right. to black on the right side. And, and just <laughs> and showed it for how ridiculous it is judging somebody by the, their exterior. It was, it's so, so brilliant. Yeah, there's there's yes. much more important things we should judge people by. The direction you put. What, what, paper what are. car they drive. What car they drive. <laughs> uh, what cosplay. Uh, they do. I mean, yeah, there's really more important things to do. Do they put yeah. pineapple on the the sacred pizza? I mean, that's just blasphemous. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to. I, yeah, I don't want to start a riot on your show. <laughs> so how did you go from the love of science fiction to writing in it? <clears throat> As a lifetime reader. I, I always read and I can't imagine my military days if I because I always had a book in my pack or in my sea bag, at least one or two. And, and it sucked lugging those around. But now with a Kindle, my God, I can't imagine how many books I would have read when I served. Right. But uh, so as an avid reader, I'm all, I've always read. But uh, transitioning to a writer. Well, when I, uh, I'm 52 years old and I'm deployed up in a North Slope, uh, the Arctic Circle, right in, in the oil field. And I'm finally, I'm fed up. I'm gone more than 50% of my time, my life. And here I'm 52 years old. I have a law degree I, and, and I have all the money I need. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Why am I doing this? Hmm. Uh, because I was making great money and my ego, hey, look at this I'm doing. I'm making a difference. Uh, not that much of a difference in being gone. They're just sometimes you have to say, no, it's not worth being gone. So I retired from that and I came home and I'm like, okay, what do I, what do I do? Cause I'm a workaholic. I can't just do nothing. So I go out in the yard and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this yard immaculate. We have a two acre yard and, uh, uh, I have this huge burn file. So, so I lit myself on fire uh-huh. and then I, I determined that I, I shouldn't be out there entrusted with any kind of power tools. So <laughs> I, wow. I, I, I came back inside and, uh, yeah, I had second degree burns on, on, uh, half of my leg and, uh, I uh, 
I said, well, I always wanted to write a book. How about if I write a book? That's safe. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to hurt myself. <laughs> and, uh, and 61 days later, I had a 100,000 word book. Wow. Now that, now that first book, yes, it sucked. I, I, it didn't, the story didn't suck, but there were a lot of times where the disjointed were the flow. So I reread it about 20 times self-editing and, and then finally got it to a place where I could, where I could publish it. And, uh, I, I ended up selling 50 some copies of which I think 49 were to my dad. <laughs> so, yeah. but, it, but it got it out there. And so that's, that's where I started because I lit myself on fire. So, so serendipity, uh, uh, the skin grew back and, and actually most of the hair too. So uh, it's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> so did that, did that moment start with, Hey, hold my bear. Watch this. <laughs> it, it did not, but thank goodness there was snow on the ground, even though it was even, uh, so I was able to, uh, uh dive into a snowbank and, uh, stop, drop and roll. I still wow. remember Dick Van Dyke. Uh, yes. Uh, and, uh, stop, drop and roll. And, uh, cause gasoline doesn't, <laughs> we don't ask me why I'm burning a pile with gasoline, but, uh, it, it will keep burning even if you do rub snow on it. So I had to, uh, uh rub snow on my legs to stop the fire and, uh, it, it it wasn't an optimal situation, shall we say. And I thought about it. I'm like, I, I was close to killing myself uh, today. And so we're not going to do that anymore. So <laughs> actually, I pay people now because uh, that's a great thing about uh, writing full time. You can uh, achieve a level of success where you can pay people who, who aren't going to light themselves on fire to do the things that uh, uh, you shouldn't be doing. Your homeowners insurance <laughs> thanks you for that. <laughs> I, I'm sure they do. And I'm glad they don't know about it. Shh, don't listen. You didn't hear that. All right. <laughs> so uh, a lot of authors have one author that they've read before that they try to model themselves after. Um, for instance, mine is R.A. Salvatore because I love his character development, even though he mostly writes fantasy and I write science fiction. I, I absolutely adore his, his main characters. Who do you think has been the largest influence in your writing? Maybe someone you want to outdo or someone you want to emulate? Anne McCaffrey. I, I like her style. I like her storytelling. I like the way you love her characters. You, you fall for them and you just want to follow them and you want great things to happen. And uh, so Anne McCaffrey, mainly the Dragon Riders of Pern, as the seminal series that uh, uh, for anyone to emulate, that would be the person. Wonderful. I actually have that uh, hardback on my desk and I've read it so many times it's falling apart. So then you're a better man for it because of, uh, I mean, that's, it's just a great story. It's a great read. It's one of those ones that every time you read it, you realize something you missed the last time. And it's like, aha, it's got those moments. So I do enjoy that. So uh, this is the part of the interview, dear listeners, where we list out uh, what he's written. Craig's written miniseries. Um, Many of these are written in the Cthurian Gambit universe and include several novels and short stories. Because he's written 10 trillion books, yes, that's a mathematical number we've checked. Uh, we'll just list the series names. Um, many of these uh, books are available as ebooks and audiobooks. So if you're interested in looking closer, Craig's contacts are in the show notes. And uh, I'm sure he has a primer somewhere what order you need to read them in. Um, when you're done, I'm sure he will give you the PhD certificate in Martell Incorporated. So there's that. But, um, and if you're interested in the Dark Landing um, stuff he talked about earlier, that series, um, I listed in his show notes the interview he did on the Hank Gardner podcast specifically about that series. And it's, it's an hour long. It's a, it's a good listen. I've, I've enjoyed that as well. So 
All right. So starting in no particular order, we have the Judge, Jury, and Executioner series with Michael Anderley, the Dark Landing series with Scott Moon, the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, a Cutharian Gambit series with Michael Anderley, a Gateway to the Universe uh, series with Michael Anderley and Justin Sloan, the Bad Company, a Cutharian Gambit series, In Times Alaska series, the Free Trader series, the Cygnus Space Opera series, the Rick Bannock thrillers, um, becoming a successful indie author, a standalone nonfiction story. Um, the expanding universe science fiction anthologies. There are four of them in total, uh, and I was in the third one. It's still available in paperback if you're so inclined. Um, we've got the Shadow Vanguard, a Tom Dublin series. The Uprise Saga with Amy Duboff. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, Duboff, yeah. Metamorphosis Alpha, stories from the world's first science fiction RPG with James, James M. Ward. People Raged and the Sky Was on Fire, which is a standalone. A Super Dreadnought with Tim Marquitz. Uh, which is coming in fall of 2018. Enemy of My Enemy, also with Tim Marquitz, coming in the summer of 2018. We have The Heart Rage, a standalone, which is also coming soon. Uh, Cruise Liner Hades 7, a Lost 77 World's Tale, a standalone novella. Deep uh, Defense of the Deep Space Denali, included in the Expanding Universe Volume 2 and is released as a standalone. Um, We have The Tide, a chapter story with contributed contributions from 21 unique authors which is also a standalone the misadventures of jake uh jacob willa wild mckilljoy wow speak much uh michael with michael earl uh, michael scott earl which is a standalone and wisdom journey a standalone we have just one more fight a standalone a language barrier a standalone lunar resorts anthology volume two with stephen lee and james m ward um, apocalyptic sh- uh, space short story collection, and it contains the Free Trader short story with Stephen Lee and James Ward. Earth Prime Anthology Volume One with Stephen Lee and James Ward, and then uh, the Free Trader Cygnus and People Raged Chris uh, Craig Martell Starter Library, which you can get if you're interested for two ninety nine. Wow, wow. I, I feel like I just ran a marathon. all right so with all those amazing books today we're going to focus on your newest uh science fiction series craig we'll talk about uh the judge jury and executioner series so how did you come up with the idea or the premise for these series uh was it psychedelic snow blindness extreme cabin fever (laughs) it was it was a uh a michael anderley idea on taking boston legal and putting it in space and uh, i liked it being a lawyer of course i uh, i liked it uh, how can we write space opera with a lawyer who people like, uh, as opposed to a lawyer who uh, makes money, uh, as all lawyers do, no matter what the situation, the lawyer's going to win. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, the uh, it was his idea, and we were looking for a, a co-writer to write it, and we never did find anybody who was really uh, uh, uh had the work ethic as we did. To, to get that story down. And as I started writing it, I'm like, uh, I need to write this. I can't have uh, do a co-writer and, and collaborate on it where the other person does the heavy lifting because then it really wouldn't take the shape that it did. So uh, you have been judged, which we're calling Boston Legal meets Judge Dread, uh, came out of the gates uh, last Monday, uh, almost, uh, what, five days ago. It's still ranked, what, 700 uh, overall in the score at and it's 499 is the price it's it uh it's killing it uh getting a lot of page 100,000 page reads a day wow so it's it's uh uh came out uh got 61 
reviews in the first 72 hours. So uh, I was really, really happy with that because I put in my right after the end, I put, hey, if you'd like the story, the series to continue, please leave a review because the only way I know that uh, you like the story. And uh, it's uh, it has uh, gotten the glowing reviews. People are really, really impressed. I think it's my best book ever in regards to flow, uh, the way the flow works, the way the story develops. And also it's Unlike my Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, which I had a consistent, like a three POV interweaving uh, chronology, uh, you have been judged as pretty much a single POV straight flow through uh, from the uh, uh, chronological perspective. Okay. So um, the judge, jury, and executioner universe is clearly a series, I know, because you just told us. So where do you see it going? You have one book out. Um, How deep into this this, uh, series will you go? And what's next for the characters? <clears throat> the character will get a different uh, view next time, and we're we're looking at something like a Rico uh, racketeering kind of uh, approach mm-hmm. uh, that she'll she'll take on the law. Because how do you something that people don't understand is hey that's uh, you have a monopoly. Well, you know not all monopolies are bad, but when does a monopoly become illegal? And uh, working those little bits of law into the story, weaving those in. Uh, is uh, is a challenge, and also it's fun to do, and you can educate people a little bit. Like, what's the term re- recipsiloquitur? What is mens rea? What is actus reus? Those uh, uh, Latin terms that you have to learn if you go to law school. So there's my uh, my three years of law school. I get to I get to use it here and and uh, let people know just a little bit at a time. That like three or four points of law in each book is all, but uh, so people can uh, can learn and. Also read a great story. I love stories that, that you can actually learn something from. Um, I, I once read a story by W.E.B. Griffin um, where he, he talks about the the pilot of a helicopter actually having to bend the blades. I didn't know that was a thing where they can actually put a, put a curve into the blades and uh, and gain some more lift by curving them, straight them, and actually flapping the blades like a bird. So I, I, I appreciate stories where I can actually – actually learn something new from him. So that's cool. All right. And, and the good news, dear listener, is that he's actually not billing you by the hour for those uh, little bits of information. So you lucked out this time. But the next one is not free. <laughs> so, all right. So looking through the description, um, and, and just based on what you just said, the universe uh, really felt like a mashup of Judge Dredd and all of the lawyer TV shows uh, that we love. And, and you mentioned that that was your intention, but how close to the lawyer side do you plan on going? Or is it going to be more of an action story, sort of like Jag was? I don't know if you remember that TV series. I did. Oh, Jag. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. They kind of went off the rails there uh, <laughs> uh, towards the end. Uh, I mean, way, way off the rails. So, uh <clears throat> it has to have action because uh, that's our readership that we've developed over the years. Uh, I have about uh, what 10,000 core readers and, and they like a certain amount of action. It's, it's okay to be in the courtroom, but uh, somebody better punch somebody in the face. Otherwise uh, you're going to, uh, I'm going to lose people. <laughs> so I don't know why <laughs> but we, th- that's where the judge dread element comes in. So it helps to make the lawyer also the judge, jury, and executioner. She has the mandate to punish the guilty. So uh, uh, that's just a, a simple. And that also feeds a little bit of my space Western desire because they liken them to the, the old judges 
who would travel the Wild West and go from city to city, a town to town, and uh, they'd they'd have the criminals and they'd hear them uh, for a day and they'd uh, rule rule and then move on. So she kind of fills that role within a a galactic on a galactic scale. For some reason, when you talk about punching someone in the courthouse, I'm picturing that scene. I think it was a few good men. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Restrain the colonel. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll link that in the uh, the show notes, and uh, I'll see if I can't find a little little YouTube clip. But if you haven't seen that movie, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's you're missing so, out. Um, you're missing out. Given that we're about to get where he can um, get more in depth in this story, we're going to take a, a little bit early break, and we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. Under 30,000 feet of water, the exploration rig Leaguer has discovered an oil field larger than Saudi Arabia. With oil so sweet and pure, nations would go to war for the rights to it. But as the team starts drilling exploration wells in their race to claim the sweet crude, a deep rumbling beneath the ocean floor shakes them to their core. Something has been living in the oil. Pauli Cooley's The Black is a techno-horror thriller reminiscent of movies such as Leviathan and The Thing and puts terror right into readers' ears. The Black, a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Ocean exploration will never be the same. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through the commercial. We're back with Craig Martell, um, a lawyer turned writer and former Marine. Speaking of lawyers, was it fun getting to use your law degree in such a way, uh, direct way within the universe that you write in? And how close to the law do you intend to stick? I, uh, the law is based on English common law here in the U.S. So uh, uh, people say, well, the legislature makes laws. Yes, they do. However, judge-made law is about 90% of the rulings, I believe, because uh, you go to court for a divorce. The judge will make that law. Here's the standard. Here's what you do uh, within a certain framework. So uh, uh, I will stick very, very closely to the law. I'll pick those p- specific elements. But uh, then, of course, it's going to be a digression when uh, the lawyer is is punching people in the face and punching them uh, uh, in the open. So that that might be a little bit of a diversion from uh, reality here. However, uh, on a galactic scale in a space opera where we're going to spend time with the characters, that's what uh, that's what we want to do. So you're going to you're going to meet the characters and hopefully grow with them, uh, learn a bit, a little bit about the law as she learns, as she goes and uh, understand that some legal systems are different. Uh, you travel to uh, uh, to the Middle East, the uh, legal system is going to be different. And how do you work within that legal system? Uh, uh, like right now, so in the galaxy, you go to a different planet. Well, how is their legal system a little bit different? And how do we work within that? And that's... Uh, oh, wow. Uh, those points, they won't distract. It'll be, it'll be uh, uh, the first book, very fast moving, a, a quick read. Uh, I've heard from almost all the people that once they started it, they could not put it down. And that is, uh, let me steal uh, Mark Dawson's phrase, unput downable. <laughs> that is the goal of a book is uh, to have people read it in one sitting, because that means that, that you've hooked them and you've kept it going. And that's uh, that's my goal. So do you plan on stealing from borrowing whatever the, uh, the appropriate case may be from other legal traditions outside the US UK base to get a little bit unique flavor when you're when you're doing the law scenes? I, I might, I might, might do a little research and stuff, but there's so many, uh, 
so many, so much opportunity within the U.S. Like RICO, uh, the racketeering and uh, and uh, corrupt organizations. How do you how do you work that in in such a way that uh, uh, without melting people's brains on uh, hey this accountant looked through you know twelve gigabytes of data. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't. We don't need to do that. Uh, let's watch it real time. <clears throat> you know? So, so with a English common law tradition, which is the basis of U.S. law, you said, uh, does that mean you're going to revert to some of that and have them wear like really cool wigs? The barristers, the wigs. Uh, there will th- there will be no wigs, uh, that, but they do change their hair color on occasion because we had uh, one of the uh, characters had purple hair in the first one, and she changed it to uh, blonde. So I'm a little bit sad at the lack of powder wigs. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> but they but she does wear the lawyer. That's the the uh, magistrate's jacket is a uh, a flight jacket, a naval flight jacket, which is what I uh, what I chose specifically as their trademark piece of gear. Okay, mm, cool. Eh, not quite a powder wig, but but we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the um, you've described this series in, in your Amazon uh, listing as galactic uh, empire story interwoven with genetic engineering awesomeness. Well, I added the awesomeness. But uh, so what is it about those two subgenres that appealed to you and motivated you to take this this legal story and, and set it in that setting? Let's call those uh, tropes because uh, galactic empire, the, the important thing uh, with the galactic empire is just the scale that you can work in. And genetic engineering is to give the person a foot up, uh, not not a superhero trope, but uh, help them become a little better than they are, uh, especially when it comes to getting hurt, uh, how rapidly they can heal. So that's the genetic engineering part is uh, nanocytes just to help them heal, help them be a little bit stronger than what they appear. Because uh, it's and this is my desire to uh, have the readership always look at somebody as if they are more than they appear whether it's characters in my book or people they meet in real life. You have to understand that no matter who you meet, they're going to know something that you don't know. So you should always uh, always listen more than you speak and uh, and take the people at more than face value because there's more to them than what you know. Good advice. Okay. All right. That's kind of deep. No, the silence wasn't because I forgot to unmute it. This time I was actually thinking. I do that sometimes. <laughs> That's why you smell smoke. You know, grunts, we don't like to think. But um, all right. So... What role did um, you, you mentioned that the the basic idea, the starting point was, was Michael Anderley's, but what role did he have uh, in, in crafting it as it went forward? Because, uh, you know, I, he's mentioned before that he has an IT background, not a legal one. So how did you you balance that in when you two were writing this Boston legal meets Judge Dredd? I, I wrote the story and I sent passages to him as, as we went and he said, good, I like it. OK, so you okay. wrote the first draft. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that. I wrote the story. Now, with all these ideas that you have for the universe, would you ever consider working with anyone else besides Michael Anderley, or is this is is this just for you and him? Uh, Do you do you plan on maybe branching off of this story? No, I this one this one will be uh, you'll see on the cover. uh, Michael insisted that I put just my name on the cover because of uh, that. the The story was mine, so uh, even though he is listed as co author inside. But he did insist on that. So uh, this story will be will be me. But you'll see that I've co-written with uh, with Scott Moon, with uh, Kevin McLaughlin, with Tim Marquitz, uh, uh, with some other folks. So it's not 
As far as co-writing, I am I am more than willing. K. N. Lee actually and I are co-writing uh, a Dragon's Call, a, uh, a an epic fantasy trilogy. Nice. So, so I have a lot of co co writing projects in the works, and and those usually for the other writers, they're going to do the heavy lifting of the majority of the writing. But either I'll outline or or add in parts, punch it up as it may be, which means uh, you add in add words or add in uh, uh, characters and and help the three dimensionality of the story. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Well, when I, I when I first found your books, it was all your military science fiction stuff. Do you expect this may start involving some some more space combat or or large scale fighting? That's <clears throat> actually I have a, a a co-writing a co-written series coming up that I'm working with Jonathan Brazy, United States Marine Corps Colonel, uh, retired. So he's uh, he and I will write. It'll be an every other chapter project because we're going to do two POVs, two points of view. Where he will take the uh, the officer and the staff point of view, and I will take the enlisted point of view. Oh. <laughs> so we'll have two different views of the battlefield, and this is this is galactic scale. This is uh, uh, army on army kind of scale stuff. So we have that uh, that series coming. Uh, we've outlined the first book, and I give civil affairs a, a great deal of uh, props in that first one because uh, you can't just win the. You can't just win the battle. You need to win the hearts and minds of the uh, of, of the population. So uh, we're including those, and that'll be a challenge for both of us because that's not uh, how either of us uh, were raised in the Marine Corps of the 70s and 80s. <laughs> so when so, I was in the Army, they were doing that hearts and minds stuff when I was in Iraq for both tours. But I had a very, very <laughs> wise platoon sergeant who told me once that if you grab them by the balls, the hearts and minds will follow. And that's sort of the wow. infantry <laughs> motto, unofficially, of course. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many yeah, wrong ways guys. I can go with that. You know, about <laughs> touching other people's. Never mind. <laughs> family show, family show. Let's get back army on track. Stuff, silly <laughs> army. <laughs> yeah, army. You just can't ever let those guys out of yeah. your sight. <laughs> All right, Craig. So, um, have you been approached, or what would you like to see in the future with this particular series, such as role playing games, movies, video games, anything like that? Our hope is always to uh, hit the big screen. Uh, Dark Landing was written specifically for the small screen, and we have already been approached uh, uh, by a uh, by a studio. I'm not sure that's going to pan out, but uh, so we're uh, uh, always looking, and we do have our fingers into Hollywood, so nothing is off the table. And the quality, combined with the quantity, uh, the volume of uh, of material, especially as as uh, the big screen struggles with finding original material that will resonate with an audience uh, since they're doing so many remakes and they're not right. good remakes for Christ's sake. I, it's really, it's pretty, it's a shame to waste that kind of horsepower and then make bad movies. <laughs> so uh, we want them look to the Indies and look to uh, somebody like Michael Anderley, who has over 200 books published as part of his publishing company. There has to be something there, especially his Bethany Ann character that, would have long legs, be able to resonate across a, a broad audience, a, a broad range of audience, and then have more material for follow-on stories. So you don't just get one and done. Uh, like the Harry Potter, here's seven. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I mean, eight movies that that killed it. 
and then you get the theme park and all of that too. How do you how do you get there from here? It, one step at a time. You have to publish great stories that people get uh, get hooked to, and that's with uh, uh, you have been judged. People have already reread it, and that is that's what touches me the most. Is that uh, people are looking for stuff they missed with the first read because they read it so fast because they just wanted to know. And then they go back and read it uh, carefully a second time to see what they missed and and then maybe even read it a third time. <laughs> uh, rereading, it's like a hotel's quality control. You don't need to run a survey. All you need to do is, are, do they come back? Have you stayed here before? If the answer is yes, then your hotel is doing fine. I know. Wow, yeah. Given the popularity of the legal stuff on TV, you've got all the law and orders and Boston legal and Jag and all those. And the, the popularity of like the, uh, I know my mom watches that ID television where like how to murder your husband stuff. So I, I definitely think there's a market for the viewing. <laughs> I know if my dad ever goes missing, I, I'm telling you, I, I know what happened, but, um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah, so I definitely think there's, there's a market for, for the legal stuff. I don't think there's ever been, at least on a on a television screen, the lawyer in space kind of thing. I mean, Judge Dredd. I don't. Yeah, nominally he was the the lawyer, but I don't think it it was quite as much. I mean, it was he was more just a superhero than I felt like than a than a legal yeah story. And that's a comic, and it was, and it's more dystopian than uh, a dystopian superhero as opposed to like law in space to expand. And that's one of the Star Trek episodes where uh, Kirk is accused of, of killing somebody because of incompetence. That is an episode where you have law in space and how he works that, how he and Spock together come to a resolution and find that, hey, the guy never died, actually. He, he made it up. So that, that uh, is a great basis. And it was a popular episode. That, uh, that seems to be a common um, episode to do. Um, Stargate did it where, you know, you basically you take the crew and, and they have to stay on trial. Partly they do it because they can do the flashbacks and, and save on recording. But uh, but that, yep. that those episodes are yes. always still highly received, even for people that have seen the episodes they're they're referencing. So, I mean, I definitely think there's a, a market for an interest in that. Um, I think uh, I well, Star Wars didn't really because it, it didn't apply. But but most of the serialized uh, science fiction shows have at least one of those episodes. It's it's right up there with Disneyland for the sitcoms. You know, it's just one of those things they always do. So, so um, like always, I've skimmed the reviews to figure out how the readers take your work. As usual, I'll remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, they all help the right readers find books. Uh, in this one, the two uh, negative reviews, because we tend to look at the good and the bad, were so generic that they were basically useless. So we're, we're going to skip on to the good stuff. Um, this book has, as uh, as we're recording, two two star reviews and f- um, five four star reviews, and then forty four five star reviews. Um, so, and you know, obviously, if you've read it and didn't leave a review, go do that. But all of the positive reviews were were surprised by this book. They expected something pure legal thriller. I don't know, Pelican Brief, I guess, would be the example that comes to mind. Uh, and they got plenty of that mixed with humor that was tense with action and adventure. So, how do you plan on keeping that vibe going because that's a tall a tall build to follow <clears throat> that's uh you're just gonna have to read the next book yeah. to find out. <laughs> oh good answer no spoiler <laughs> curtis curtis i say and, <clears throat> well and that's uh you want you want to ask how many books i've sold and i'll tell you 
not enough. <laughs> Read the first one. Read the first one and the second one. The second one I hope to put up for pre-order within a week or so uh, for maybe okay. a month down nice. the road. I've already started it. I have to finish Free Trader 9, which will be the last book in the Free Trader series. And then uh, uh, Destroy the Corrupt is uh, Judge, Jury, and Executioner book two. So Destroy the Corrupt will be next and probably up for pre-order for maybe the first week in August, okay. I'm thinking. That's fast. Now we have our goals, Chris. We want to write that oh, fast. Yeah. How long? Come on, man. How long? How long, how long does it take to write a book? So <laughs> well, that depends. <laughs> That's a loaded, a loaded All right. Question. So uh, in that vein, how, um, how do you foresee yourself balancing the legal sequences that, you know, that we've obviously are popular and the, the kinds of things that people expect from the, the larger Carthurian Gambit universe? It's part, I've written, uh, you have been judged is the 18th the 19th book I've written in the Carthurian Gambit uh, universe. So it's, it's kind of second nature to me. Uh, so how it flows and how it uh, fits within the canon uh, is, is almost natural. I'll just write it. Now, the good thing is I, I am surrounded by a great team of, of beta readers and I will give it to them as it's in progress and they'll double check to make sure that the canon is correct and at uh, second that it reads well. <clears throat> and they were they were really happy with what they saw in the first uh, the first book. Uh, they got the first thirty thousand words and they were they were quite pleased because I'm like, hey, I'm not sure this is working. I always hit that point whenever I write a book, and uh, I send it to them and they read it and they're like, oh no, here's this, here's a few typos, and here's this, here's here's a continuity issue. You said he said when it should have been she. Okay, hey, got that. Thank you. And I clean that up and uh, and move on, and then surprise them with the last half of the book. Uh, I'll send it to my editor, and it'll go back to the beta readers for uh, uh, for final finalization, clean up of the last. So typos. that's a lot of books. How do you keep that universe straight? Is there like a do you have like a universe bible that's like I guess a, a book in itself at this point, or do you do it all in your head? Spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet. I, I have a spreadsheet with a lot in my head. Yeah. And and then the beta readers those those guys know the canon they've read every book in the uh, in the universe so wow okay I, yeah. I, I'm shuddering trying to imagine keeping that all straight in my head <laughs> right I've I've heard it said that authors write books to get the story out of their head where readers want it in their head so I guess sometimes we forget <laughs> stuff nice. that we wrote oh my god yes that's I'm writing I'm writing Free Trader nine and. Uh, they're on the spaceship traveler, right? And that, that book was book three and I'm on book nine now. And uh, book three, I wrote two and a half years ago. So I was like, how many people were on the ship originally? A hundred thousand, a million. So I just wrote it that way. I don't know. A hundred thousand or a million. <laughs> I, I don't remember <laughs> uh, 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 what I put. <clears throat> so I made it. So the character, the character didn't remember Perfect. either. Perfect. <laughs> Instead of going back and digging through and saying, can I find it? Nah, waste of time. Just, if you don't remember, don't remember. Make Chris uh, has said that that's his largest fear is one day he's going to be big enough. He's invited to speak at a panel and some super fans going to ask him a question and he's not going to remember. <laughs> oh my God. They've done that to me. Hey, on this. Yeah. In book three of this, it's like, oh, my God, that was eight. That was 25 books ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And don't even remember. What was the character's name again? You can't you can't answer like that. It's like, oh, man, do you believe it? What do you think it was? <laughs> <laughs> Turn it back on. 
I answer with a question because I'm like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> and that's going to make them think you're even smarter because it worked for Socrates, right? The Socratic method. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Which, of course, you'll remember. That's a legal method, the Socratic method. Eh, see, I, I did that on purpose, mm-hmm. of course. That's, of that's course. a law school thing. Right, right. That was not an accident, dear listener. But uh, so <laughs> <laughs> he, he meant to do that. Famous last words. <laughs> so before we transition to the last uh, third of the interview, where we, you know, talk more about the genres writ large, um, is there anything that we didn't cover about the judge during executioner series? Anything you want to tell us before we move on? I just, I just. Uh, I think it's my best book. I, I've written 50-some books, and I think it's my best one in regards to flow and, and, and how it is. Because, and also, I found that it was one of the easiest to write because everything was in my head and how it all worked and the banter between the characters. Uh, writing a single POV and, and going from there, it was easier for me to keep straight. When we have multiple POVs, the worst I've had was I had eight different POVs interacting within the same chapter as eight different uh, actions were ongoing. And that was the book Blockade, which was very, very well received. But it was but it was a challenge and it was hard to write because I had yellow stickies everywhere. And this one I didn't have I had I actually didn't have any yellow stickies as I was writing the story because it was all it was it was more straightforward than that. So uh, I like it from that perspective. It's smooth and it flows. So that's what that's what I liked about that one. But uh, generally, the the writing process is uh, you get the words down, you get them out of your head and get them onto the page because you can't edit a blank yep. page. So once it's there, then you can look at it and see how see how it works and and then make it work from. I actually uh, tried that writing eight POV characters and it got too much. So I just started killing people so I could simplify it. Look up that person <laughs> yeah. dead dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did that in the next book, and that, that was the Bad Company series, book three. I, I wrote a whole book, and I left off one of the characters, a whole book, and I didn't have this character in there. So I went back and added him into a couple scenes, and then in the next book, I actually killed him off. And the flan- the fans flipped out. They're like, oh, he was my favorite character. I'm like, how can he be your favorite character? All right. <clears throat> so... Because and for that same reason, it's like I'm I'm lose I can't keep track of all these characters. So let me start axing a few. Oh my god! Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't add in the character if you're not going to write them in perpetuity. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. All right, so Jared's done enough talking. So we ask all our military veterans this question: um, How do you feel like your time in the Marine Corps has affected these stories that you tell? The funniest stuff I've ever seen was in the Marine Corps whenever uh, the chips were down, stress was high, whatever you want to say, because the, the Marines do the hmm. funniest stuff. That's uh, I saw a meme on Facebook about it showed a picture with the X over it of somebody like peeing up over their head and into the toilet, <laughs> right? And it's like, don't do this, right? And I'm like, oh, that's a ridiculous thing. But And I was thinking about that this morning. I'm like, if you posted that in a Marine barracks, People would actually try to do that, yes. peeing in their face. Yes, they would. So, so, which, which, that's the Marine Corps to a T. Here, tell them, don't do this because it's really stupid. To, uh, oh, yeah, really? Watch me. Like you said, hey, hold my beer, watch me. No, I mean, it's some of the stuff we did in the field was insane. Oh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we, had a, we had a vehicle. We were in Italy, and we had a vehicle-mounted jammer. You can imagine how big and bulky that thing was. Uh, one issue uh, we didn't have a vehicle <laughs> so here we are the manned portable 
vehicle-mounted jammer with a Honda generator to run it and a, a conversion because, of course, it was a 24-volt because it ran off a Humvee and cans of gas. And we're humping through the field with that. So, JR, I'm sure yes. you've seen some of that, too. Like, why in the hell did you give us stuff that belongs on a truck? Well, because you're walking. And so we did through Italy. Wow. wow. Nice I actually was the <laughs> idiot that joined the light infantry because I thought it meant I carried less. <clears throat> Joke was on Nice me. try. <laughs> no, it just means... <laughs> It just means they have they have a smaller footprint. <laughs> that was one of those ones where they lined us up because I was uh, uh, involuntarily reclassed right after I finished my first uh, AIT, my MOS, and I got there and they lined us up. It's like who wants to be light infantry and who wants to be heavy? And all the idiots that didn't know any better, we stepped forward and everyone laughed, but it was too late. So, yep, <laughs> you're done. Hey, thank you for volunteering. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, don't ever right. do that. Well, too late now, but uh, oh, yeah. So, do you ever draw on people that you knew in the military, of course, changing names to protect the guilty? Uh, yes, yes, of course. And and, and how can you not? I, uh, we, we all write what we're experienced with. Some people, it's experience in video games on, on how people interact, and uh, especially the worldwide, uh, uh, the MMORPGs because you interact with teams and stuff like that. So you can bring those characterizations in to any kind of action sequences. Uh, some people have no idea of what real combat is all about. And and that comes out in their writing. And that's really, they need to take care and get somebody to, to check that because they, they don't understand what a, a final protective fire looks like and, and how intense it could be. And I don't care who you are. You're not running through one. You'd simply wait until it's over and then you, then you run. So the, uh, uh, the combat sequences, how people fight, how people run out of gas when they're fighting. Like, uh, uh, you don't see a fist fight go on for 30 minutes. Have you ever been in a fist fight? Well, how about, how about a minute? That's about all you got in you, uh, in a real fist fight, especially when you're trying to kill each other. So, uh, uh those kinds of things, they add the reality character characterizations and some of the funny things people say, you put those in, uh, uh, quirks about folks and, it's all there. And the Marine Corps was uh, such ripe fodder for books that uh, I, I don't think I will ever run out of characters or, or funny stories to tell. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right. So one of the many uh, sci-fi sub subgenres you write in is uh, Galactic Empire Tales. So without naming any names, what's your biggest pet peeve in that category of books that you, you see other authors doing that you wish they'd fix? What a pet peeve, and I'm not I'm not bagging on people, but when I see uh, uh, science fiction romance uh, in those in those categories, it kind of it kind of bums me out. Okay, so it, it, you just don't feel like it fits into the no. Galactic Empire. Okay, now Galactic Empire. Here we've got a lawyer who goes from planet to planet to meet out justice. That's Galactic Empire for the Federation, which is a federation of planets. Uh, that is a Galactic Empire tale. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, sleeping with an alien. I mean, that's uh, well, I guess Star Trek. It worked for Kirk, but that's Kirk <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Never met an alien he didn't want to sleep with, and that's uh, I, yeah. I saw a meme online that said, uh, "Why are Marines not going to be allowed in the space force?" Because uh, yeah, every alien, <laughs> every alien that we would come across, the Marines would figure out how to how to, how to try to screw it. So and, uh, <laughs> you, you can't have that. I saw that meme too. 
it was it was this more straightforward. We, <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> this is what this is why you're standing on the planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, sir. All right. So switching to the positive side, what do you think are the best empires that you've seen other authors do? The best empires. I, I really like what uh, Mark E. Cooper did with the Marikiari Wars. Uh, he did some great work there in his uh, in his galaxy. Um, other galactic empires, uh, David Weber and the Honor Harrington, the Harrington verse. Those are uh, uh, is another one that expand expanded, and uh, I, I think he went a little bit off the rails with uh, with word counts and and keeping that story clean. I mean, I really liked the first uh, about six. I was okay with the next two, and then and then it kind of fell off. Uh, so maybe there is a limit to how much you can talk about with Galactic Empire. So uh, just how it is, just how it is. So you find what you like okay. and, and you, you exploit that. And I don't, <clears throat> with uh, the bad company and with uh, judge, jury and executioner, I don't want to go beyond that point where I'm just jamming words to get words, even though the fans are, are, are calling for, Hey, we need a new story. I, I want to write a story that is a good story. And will always be a good story, whether it's the tenth book in the series or whether it's the second book in the series. Excellent. Now, you also write some genetic engineering tales. So, without naming any names, what do you what do you see other authors doing that maybe isn't working so well? On that, I, I don't really have an answer to that question. Sometimes uh, people use genetic engineering to make superheroes. It's it's okay. Superhero is a great category, and I think uh, Michael Anderley has done very well with his Bethany Ann character because she was genetically engineered and becomes a superhero, even though it's alien, a little bit of horror, uh, some comedy, uh, galactic empire, all of those different categories come into play. Uh, so uh, the genetic engineering, it's, it's okay. It's a category that just says somebody has been modified. So it's, a, it's more of a wide open category and it, it's nice. I mean, I'm able to, uh, to do well in that category, judge, jury, and executioner one hit number one in the genetic engineering category for, for a couple days. So nice. Uh, AJ so Riddle, just, he does, he does uh, the genetic engineering. He owns that category whenever he comes out with a new book. So just real quick, the um, Bethany Ann character, what series is she in? And I'll link to that. So if they're curious, <clears throat> the Cartharian gambit. So the main series. Yes. Yeah. 21 books. With a, a follow-on series, one book is already out. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> so who do you think does the best genetic engineering, of course, besides yourself? <laughs> uh, I think A.G. Riddle, his uh, Atlantis gene is is an outstanding series. Ah, right on. Okay. He um he actually spoke at one of the Indie Author Days that uh, Chris Kennedy put on with the local library here. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, given given all kinds of advice, writing advice to, uh, and then you know talking about sort of like what we're doing, sci-fi writ large. So okay. he's a friendly Superb. guy. All right, that is in the show notes, people. So if you're curious, we'll we'll link to all of that. So uh, of all the the subgenres that you write in, which one do you have the most fun doing? Uh, space opera. I, I love the characters, character development, and character interaction. How do they how do they work together in times of stress, times of combat, whatever it might be. Okay. I do enjoy me some space opera. So, all right. So enough about your books now, Craig. Shameless plugging is over. So what are you reading currently in the science fiction genre? Uh, what am I reading? You know, I, I write so much. And with the co-authors, I'm reading their books. 
the books that they're writing. So recreational reading, I haven't done a whole lot. However, uh, uh, Andre Norton had a book uh, show up on BookBub for 99 cents, and Robert Heinlein did as well. So I picked up both of those, and I've been casually reading those uh, whenever I have a few minutes. So you return to the classics. I like old school, man. I, I, I Heinlein. I, one of the one of the most humbling things is the comparison of the readers of me to to uh, Andre Norton. I mean, she was an incredible author, told a lot of great stories, and uh, and people saying, "Hey, you you write like uh, you write like Norton." Uh, so I uh, uh, very humbling, and I appreciate that, and I can only strive to uh, live up to that. Okay. So, nice. so the last part of the interview that we ask everyone is we like to remember the science that makes up science fiction. So are there any new scientific breakthroughs you're following or insi- excited by? Well, I liked that ion drive and it's now, now it's wishy-washy. It's like, Hey, it works. Oh, maybe it doesn't. Uh, come on people. <laughs> so the, the ion drive where they uh, can bounce ions off one side and have a, uh, uh, they don't have reverse thrust. So they don't have to shoot it out the back to go forward. That, that was the premise behind the ion drive. So I, I've been watching that, and I actually used it in my Cygnus space opera, and then it turns out that, oh, hey, it might not ex- actually work. So, bastards. The EM, the EM drive was like that, too. We based uh, one yeah. of the series we're writing together on it, and then, we're like, <laughs> well, maybe the scientific paper was wrong. Like, oh. Yeah. Yep, yep. Or they, just, they figure it out in the future. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, right. our primitive scientists today. Yeah, yeah, they they just need a little more time. <laughs> but, and one th- one thing I did is I, I'm not a big fan of uh, inertial dampeners. I know it works in Star Trek. It just it just you need it for that that way that series works. But in my Cygnus space opera, I designed the whole ship around. We don't have inertial dampeners, so so they all have to get in their seats for acceleration. They accelerate very slowly but incrementally, and uh, then they slow down uh, the same way, and and so. I mean, I use that, but I don't. Uh, so it takes two weeks to get from here to there, even though they're accelerating and, and, and they're decelerating. Because, uh, hey, I, I, I don't think you can do away with inertia. I, I hope someday we can figure that out. But right now, I, I don't see it. Cool. All right. What about you, Chris? Is there anything you're following and excited by? Yeah, I found an article on MSN.com. It says, smart prosthetic ankle can adapt to uneven ground. <clears throat> So basically, this recent advancement in artificial limbs helps us reduce or realize the dream of Luke Skywalker with his artificial hand in The Empire Strikes Back. Um, It's supposed to be a serious medical advancement in technology. I do see one major problem with it, though. Well, two. Uh, First problem, until we have a really good brain-to-technology interface, uh, something like a wet wire, I just imagine someone walking down the street with one of these five, 10 years in the future, it having a very slight malfunction and the person being pitched out in the street and run over by a car. <laughs> that would be bad. It's just waiting for a lawsuit. I mean, there, there are artificial limbs right now where we're, you know, you see people running marathons with them. You see people hiking mountains, climbing rocks, doing all this cool stuff. I don't think a a joint that it, it's going to do any kind of self adjustment. I don't think we're ready for that yet. Um, so yeah, that was that was the two problems. I think we're missing the 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 human to machine interface. And oh come on, man! I think it's, you, it's you just right how, for a lawsuit. You see how it works for self driving cars? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. Completely flawless. Oops, except for that one time and that and that other time. And that other time. And, and that time after that. <laughs> yeah. Don't get it right and eventually. When and when they drove into the cop car and, and, and <laughs> who'd you ticket? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you, JR? So uh, this is the name of the article it says no China's Tiangong to space lab probably isn't going to fall to earth. They had to throw that uh, disclaimer in the title. That wasn't me this time. Uh, so China's second space lab dived unexpectedly towards earth this month, uh, just two months after its predecessor crashed uncontrolled into our earth's atmosphere. However, according to the article space.com where I, where I found it, um, they didn't think it will crash into the atmosphere. Probably maybe ish you know um i love that scientific <laughs> certainty uh so the uncrewed tiangong 2 vehicle and i hope i pronounced that right uh, descended about 59 miles or 95 kilometers two weeks ago then popped back up to its previous 242 mile high 39 what? 390 kilometers um according to jonathan mcdowell an astronomer at the harvard smithsonian center for astrophysics so basically we're not relying on the chinese state media to tell us about this this is actually us spying on them i mean observing um, the initial step, the initial dip prompted some speculation that was preparing to deorbit the, the platform, but the boost back up suggests something else is going on. Uh, McDowell, the scientist, suspects this is evidence that they are testing maneuvers and, and basically practicing so they can learn from their previous mistakes. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more, the article goes into a lot more depth. Um, so the good news, according to the author, is the or the scientist they interviewed is a sort of a bonus. The drop and rise move will also burn up a lot of fuel. So if they ever do unexplainably re-enter the atmosphere, at least the explosion will be a little smaller. Hmm. Um, so as usual with all of these space news, uh, you should check it out yourself because uh, when it comes to tech, I am basically like three breaths away from being a knuckle dragger. So <laughs> so so trust but verify, as they say. Yeah. Can verify that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving on, uh, Craig, as we bring this to uh, this crazy interview to a close, uh, how can listeners find you? Uh, CraigMartell.com, C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com, or any of the books I talked about. Uh, Dark Landing is an easy one, one word. Uh, you search that, you'll find me, you'll find Scott Moon, you'll find some other uh, great folks that I've been in, uh, honored to write with. So all of that will be in the show notes. Um, so just scroll down when you when you listen to this podcast on whatever hosting platform you are on, and you should see that. But what about us, Chris? Where can they find us? Our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter handle is at SFS, that's Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. And our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash sfshenanigans. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... Uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.